0: I want to ask that you turn uh, in your Bibles, as we continue our study, uh, to the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 9. It takes a a church to help a pastor in many ways. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, every day I go by my house, there's by our little light pole at our house, this patch of daffodils and it's almost like they're mocking me so go by there and i see them sticking up out of the out of the ice and and some of them have just a little thick bulb right there and it's uh just letting me know this is going to (laughs) end there's going to be some flowers it won't be long just let this ice melt another couple weeks and we're there that's kind of how God's made this, this nature uh, to kind of give us those, those forerunners, those first flowers, those first hints of the next season. Uh, whether it's the a cool, crisp morning, let us know that fall and winter is coming to the daffodils that are in an, an bulb. Uh, and so in the scripture, we're going to see that the miracles act kind of like those little daffodils, those little signs, something different is going to happen. This world as we know it will not always be as it is. And so in Acts chapter 9 as we see especially the end of this chapter of Saul and his conversion as we looked at last week and how he changes to some of these little quick stories of miracles before we get to Acts 10 are these little daffodils if you will. Uh, As this movement is Working across the Roman Empire, beginning first in Jerusalem, and now starting to go into Ethiopia and Samaria, uh, into the, the the regions around, uh, and so it's starting to spread. And we're seeing that in Jerusalem, there are uh, thousands uh, of people that are now followers of Jesus Christ, and this is going all over into what we know as Israel and Jordan, and Syria today. And so we're going to look at uh, three little stories that shares the power of this gospel movement, the power of the discipleship community, how it impacts these people. In fact, what you see here, not are just three miracles, but three people who are miracles, with the thought that let's be the miracle. Let's be the miracle. And so let's go to Acts chapter 9, as we see, uh, beginning with verse uh, 20, uh, looking at Saul Uh, Then we'll look at two other people as we read the end of this chapter. And so in this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this. Acts chapter 9. Verse 20, right before this, end of verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to them, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. and Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints Who lived at Lydia. And there he found a man named Aenus, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aenus, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of, of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an open upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments, A tanner. You may be seated. So you've got three miracles. And the question you might want to ask is which one is the greatest miracle? Certainly, a resurrection is pretty big. A paralyzed person is pretty big. I mean, think about that. For eight years, he was paralyzed. This wasn't just some sickness. Something happened, perhaps some injury had occurred uh, where nerves were severed and he was no longer able to use those, those muscles. A heart stops beating for a night. He's washed her. I mean, she's grown cold. And then you've got a man named Saul whose heart had turned. It's hard to say which one is the greatest miracle. The end result is that they all bring glory to God. But the other thing that strikes me as I read this is that most miracles you see in the book of Acts were among people who did not believe. In other words, they they had heard, they had faith that this one could do something, but they were not necessarily in the community of faith. And so that's one of the things that stands out in this story is that all of these were people who, who are now in the community of faith. That just is a little unusual for the book of Acts. Usually it is along the gospel frontier where you see the power of God on display that people realize this is God. This is the message of God. But here are some people who already know this message of faith. They're in the community, and yet God still works because of his loving kindness involved in this. And so when we read this, the first one is the power to change our life. The, the, the gospel community is spreading because of the power to change our life. And so we're going to be celebrating communion in just a little bit. Um, and as we do so, one of the things that we've got to keep in mind is that as we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, we are stating a faith uh, message that we believe that Jesus is in our life. He died for our sins, He rose again. And, and as we eat and drink and become one with the elements, It is a way of saying we are one with Christ, and we are one with Jesus, and therefore it makes a difference in our life. And this is something that impacted Saul in an amazing way. Let me just ask this question. Some of you remember um, Brian Tilly, Blair. uh, They were members uh, here some time ago. Uh, One of the things that uh, I I had the opportunity of just witnessing uh, was when they went on their first mission trip. Some of you know, know these two fellows were a little bit of jokers, uh, a little bit of um, rowdy, uh before they came to know Jesus Christ as their saving Lord. There was one night, our first night, I took them off, and we were in India, and we were in the streets, and and they had gotten this um, this little um, wagon to carry them around, and it is, it's hard to describe what India streets are like, but just to kind of get the picture. Blair turned over to Brian and said, Brian. We've done some crazy things in our life. But none of them compare to what we're doing right now. Uh, And so I remember that statement because they they had gotten access and stuff like that being drunk. But what hits me about that is that that is an an absolutely accurate uh, thought. Is that however we are for the world, why are we not that same way for Christ? If we are zealous and crazy and getting drunk... How much more when Jesus Christ comes in our life? And so the question I want to ask, are, ask you, for those who, of you who know Jesus as your Savior Lord, are you as much with Christ as you were with the world? Here Saul is. He is zealous for God in a way that takes him to killing people who are Christians because he doesn't believe that their message is right. But as we read in this passage, that the people who are afraid of him, because after all, this is the guy that was uh, out to get them, now are amazed. Can you imagine the people in Damascus, they're calling Saul, thinking, okay, Saul's going to come and fix this, this Christian movement. And instead, Saul comes in and starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. You see that in verse 20. And so you can see the reaction in verse 21. All who heard him were amazed at this response and so he increases in strength and the arguing and proving that jesus was christ and so he, to the point where they're trying to kill him he is uh, uh what we what's not told here is in galatians tells us that he actually spent some time in arabia which is in jordan petra uh in that area for th- for a period of three years Uh, to receive and understand more fully the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he goes back to Damascus. All this is kind of just quickly going over in Luke's account that Paul gives a little bit more elaborate uh, details in Galatians. So he goes back to Damascus preaching this, and then he goes back to Jerusalem because they're trying to kill him. He's only in Jerusalem for a couple weeks, and he meets with Peter and James uh, to uh, make sure that what he's teaching is right. That it affirms what they themselves know as they have lived with Jesus, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, And so then we see here that they're out to get him in Jerusalem. And so uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 22, Paul is saying he gets this vision that he needs to go. And with the pressure of the Jews, he goes and he goes back to Tarsus, his hometown, where he is there for about 10 years before Barnabas calls him back into the mission work and goes to Antioch. And so there's just this little snippet of Paul's life before we really see the details a little bit. But the point of it we get from this is his life is radically changed. And so that is the miracle. I want to ask you, what is the difference that Christ is making in your life? Can you look back and say, you know, this is what my life was like before I knew Jesus Christ was my Savior Lord. And some of you maybe think, well, you know, Pastor, I, (laughs) I became a Christian early in my life. I didn't have time to really mess it up too much. But there's probably some fears that you had there. Some reason why you came to know Jesus as your Savior. Go back to those moments and times and then ask yourself, what is Jesus doing in your life? How is he changing you, and can the people around you see that Jesus is making a difference? I'm going to share with you that it is as much as a miracle to cause a heart to stop beating and causing nerves to reconnect as it is to take a hard heart and make it soft to Jesus. It is much of a miracle, and there is no such thing as a boring testimony. Testimony. There is no such thing as a boring spiritual resurrection that you who once were dead spiritually, God has made alive. There's no boring story of that. Do you understand that? So some of you may be thinking, I don't have anything to share. You've got something to share. Just tell others what Jesus is doing in your life. How he's changing you. And so here's the, the first miracle. And then we get the second miracle. Uh, we see this in verse 32, uh, the healing of Annas. Eight years, paralyzed. The thing about paraly- being paralyzed is it's usually because of some mistake. Some mistake, right? Every once in a while you, you hear some cases of someone's just got some kind of sickness that came in and paralyzes them. But most of the time, it's some accident. Something happened to this man eight years ago. And sometimes you wonder, what do you do with the sins of other people? What, what does, does, can God redeem my stupidity? Can God redeem the stupidity of someone else? Can God redeem accidents? Can God redeem mistakes? Things that have caused great injury for this man, eight years being bedridden, not being able to go anywhere. Can God do anything with that? And when Peter comes in and sees this miracle happen, It is a message. It's the daffodil that lets us know this world is not how God wants it to be. The mistakes, the accidents that people do is something that God will redeem. He will redeem. How do I know that? Because this tells me that Peter saw this man and said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, when you see the miracles being done, it's not just to give immediate relief to that person, but it is a sign to us of God's power of what looks right wrong made right when we look forward to the kingdom of god it is telling us right here that paralyzations and mistakes from others cannot stop god's power now for those of us who are accident prone that's really good news because i know that i am capable of messing up someone's life on accident I can mess up my own life on accident. Life is such a fragile thing when it comes to accidents. But Jesus Christ is greater. He's greater. And so we keep on reading. And we'll we'll find a little bit more about this. As, as we look at this, I think about Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know Johnny Erickson Tata. She's the one who... I had a, a diving accident as a teenager and was basically paralyzed from the neck down. She wrote this. It says, At the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is to fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing. And then I'll stand and dance before Him with all of my might. What a great hope. When I read the story of Ananias, it lets us know that, yes, Johnny Erickson Tata in the resurrected kingdom, in the restored kingdom, will be healed. And for all of us who have gone through such injuries, it is to let us know that those achings from injuries past are just a temporary thing. And so here you have this message given to us, that God will redeem this world with pain, blindness, disease, death, all comes through the corruption of sin. And when Jesus Christ comes, he reverses the effects of sin, including all of these things. And so that's something for us to look forward to. These miracles that we see is not the suspension of normal rules. It is Jesus showing us what normal looks like. When we think about a miracle as just a super, uh, you know, God just suspending normal nature, natural laws. no. It is God intervening to show us what the new normal is going to be. Which is why that next story is so powerful. When we read about this, this lady in verse 36, Tabitha, unfortunately translated Dorcas. <laughs> I think I'd go with the other language there, Dorcas being the, uh, the Greek version and Tabitha the Aramaic. Uh, but it simply means gazelle. Uh, but notice her reputation. She was full of good works, acts of charity. She was demonstrating Christ to the widows. Uh, She was one of those in the churches uh, that was taking care of ladies who uh, were in a very impoverished situation uh, in that day and time. And so this was her ministry. This is part of what she did as uh, a believer, a follower of Christ. And so therefore, she was greatly loved. And they were showing. Peter, and they called him, and it's about a three-hour uh, three walk uh, to uh, this place where Lydia was at near Joppa, which is in uh, Tel Aviv today, uh, and so here they are, and they say, look at this, what this woman has done, and showing the garments that she had made for them, and they were weeping, you see this verse 39, the, the crying that's taking place, and Peter, evidently sensing the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit, puts him aside and prays almost the exact same prayer that Jesus Himself prayed for a little girl who was dead. Just with one word or one letter difference. Tabitha arise, where Jesus said, Tabitha arise. Tabitha arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. You see, the power of the disciple community is not just the power to change hearts, it's not just the power to heal, it is the power over death itself. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a complete resurrection. It was more of a resuscitation because she was going to die again. So she had the unfortunate experience of dying a couple times uh, physically in her life. But I'm going to tell you, what does it mean to you if you die the second time? Knowing that the hope you have is greater than death? She's had a practice run at this deal. And she knows it's okay. Do you think she was afraid of anyone who threatened her life after that? Look, if you don't stop talking about this, stop doing good work, I'm going to kill you. I mean, what kind of power does that have over someone who has been resurrected through an apostle? Do you understand that is what you have? Why does Tabitha get resurrected? Why does... Uh, the woman, uh, the the daughter, get resurrected by Jesus, uh, the religious leader? Why does this happen? To let you know. Why does Lazarus get resurrected? To let you know that death has not the final power over us. And so here we can go on and we can look to this and say, you know what, whom I serve has power over this and so consequently you see uh this great response as they see anus walking around as they see dorcas walking around you, you notice verse 42 and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the lord i mean what do you talk about apologetic you say i don't really believe the power of god i don't really believe that jesus rose again and then you all you gotta do is just say hey dorcas come here you remember her I was like, oh, what do you do with an argument like that? I, mean, I don't believe that God can change my life. You say, Anus, come here, come here. You remember Anus? You, you didn't see him for eight years. Well, some folks are just too hard. Too hard to come to know Jesus Christ. They they hate God too much. They're too selfish. Hey, Saul, Saul, come over here. You remember Saul? You see, you become the miracle. The greatest apologetic is you. What does apologetic mean? Apologetic means the defense of the faith. In a world and society that is anti-God, anti-Christ. We can give our reasons and give our arguments and all the proofs of why we believe that God exists and why we believe Christianity is true and why Jesus rose again and why the, the Bible is the word of God. We can give all our reasons, but I'm going to tell you, they don't, really sound much and they have a hollow ring if you yourself do not show the power of god in your life you are the apologetic because we have a hope of a resurrection we have a hope that is greater than any sickness that we've got and we've got a hope that will melt hard hearts And so what is required is for us to say, God, let your power be at work. Do we pray? Prayer is God's conduit for this power to be released in this world. Let us pray and seek God's working in our life and the life of those around us. Now, we're going to go to uh, our time where we remember what Jesus did for us. The communion is a very specific act that Jesus asks us to do. And as we do this, we're going to eat the bread. You remember the bread representing Jesus' body broken for you? And drink the cup, which is his blood, shed for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. As we remember Jesus and our union with Jesus, remember that we are being united to a power that can melt our hearts, change who we are. We're being reunited with a power that has effect over physical ailments. We are reunited over a power that is greater than death itself. And so, when we consider that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus suffered, that Jesus became sin, it lets us know we don't have to experience spiritual death because he took it for us and all the suffering that happens to us no longer have that spiritual force because jesus became the sin for us and as we get here with shame and guilt we eat this bread and drink this cup it reminds us jesus became the shame became the guilt so that we could become right with him and so, this is a time of prayer for us. I'm going to ask that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have been baptized, uh, that you can uh, partake in this. If you have not, I'm going to ask out of respect for what we believe as, as followers of Christ that you withhold. Uh, if you have not followed Jesus Christ, uh, and as well as obedient through baptism. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says to us, when you come together as church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. In other words, this isn't about our, our physical desires, this is about Christ. What, do you, have how, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And as the deacons come to prepare the table, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we have judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And so as we are passing this, this is a time for us to pray. To ask God to examine our own hearts, that our hearts will be right with Jesus Christ. And as we pass the bread, the scripture talks about waiting for one another, that it's not about ourselves. One way we can try to apply that today is by making sure that we serve the person next to us. And then pass the plate and allow them to serve you. I know it's so much easier just to grab it and pass it. But pass it let them serve you. As a way of showing to one another, we're here for one another. Ministering and praying for one another through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So I'm going to ask if our deacons will come forward. At this time, we're going to prayer Eat in prayer over a blessing over the bread.